Welcome back to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Johnson. Many organizations talk about improving customer experience as one of their primary innovation initiatives. But what does it really look like to create a truly transformative experience that is orders of magnitude better than anything else out there and to do it at scale? My guest today is John Paget. John is the Chief Experience and Innovation Officer at the Carnival Corporation, and his team has created arguably the most complex and successful implementation of an IoT-driven guest experience in the world with the Ocean Medallion platform. Carnival was named one of the most innovative companies in the world by Fast Company due to the work that John and his team have done. He was previously the mastermind behind the Disney Magic Band and Fast Plus Plus experiences, which completely transformed the way guest experience at the Walt Disney World Resort works. And in this episode, we dig into how John thinks about creating the vision for such massive undertakings and the tools that he used to successfully drive disruptive innovation. The vision that he's created to provide a truly personalized, adaptive one-to-one experience at scale is pretty incredible. And I think that you'll find the conversation fascinating. So with that, let's go to John. So John, thanks so much for being here. Um, really looking forward to this one. I think as I mentioned to you before, I I, uh, I had seen, uh, I took my kids for the first time to Disney World over the spring and uh, just really marveled at the logistics of kind of everything and how magical and frictionless it was. And it was just, a, it was it was the most interesting um, customer experience I had ever seen. And I was just fascinated, you know, just with my background, I was fascinated by it. So I wanted to kind of figure out who, was behind this. And so I found you and I know now you're doing this, you know, doing some of the same stuff at Carnival. So really excited to have you here. Um, I guess, why don't, why don't we start with, uh, with your time at Disney? What was, what was sort of the genesis of the, of the magic band and fast pass kind of platforms? What were you trying to solve for, for there? Well, at Disney world, it was all about eliminating the friction. So guests could consume more experiences. And so the background of that actually started with a project called Magical Express that was done in 2005. And it was a focus on taking all the hassle and frustration out of the airport to resort transfers of both our guests and our luggage. And that was so impactful to the overall business that it made me realize that it wasn't about how much what we had at Disney World, but it was more of the how guests could consume the entire resort. And you're talking mm-hmm. about 43 square miles uh, of yeah. property, hundreds of attractions, entertainment, food, beverage, uh, uh, recreation, transportation, water parks, and it just goes on and on. And yeah. so the notion of if we could eliminate the friction out of every transition out of every element of your entire in-in vacation experience, how much more that would maximize the uh, vacation for guests. Uh, And that was the essence of the Magic Band. The Magic Band um, was a wearable before the category of wearable even existed. Uh, The only other wearable that existed at that time was the kind of nascent Nike Plus Band at the time. Mm I think it was mm-hmm. called the Nike Fuel Band, um, but the Magic Band turned out to just be phenomenally successful because it was embraced by so many guests. Again, the concept of wearable didn't exist, and it instantly transformed the feeling of your in-to-end vacation experience because uh, in in one day, you switch from having 
key cards, transportation vouchers, fast pass tickets, uh, theme park tickets, all these different pieces of individual media were all in guest pockets that they were having to move around and pull out yeah. and present. Yeah. And now with just this magic van, guests could go from the airport to the resort, access their room, access the theme park, access attractions, make, uh, you know, uh, pay for meals, pay yeah. for meals and things of that sort. Yeah. And it just took care of everything. And, and, and people would walk away saying that was just phenomenal. And it, yeah. but it was the, still the same things they were experienced before. It was yeah. just in a different way. Yeah. Was that a, was that a, um, was the insight technological in the sense that, you know, that you all had seen, you know, the Nike band and, or, 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 and, 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 and thought, oh, we could leverage this, uh, to really do some really special stuff. Or was it more, you had the vision first, you had this sort of end state in mind of, of what the experience would be like. And then it was like a search for how in the world do we actually pull this off and implement it? Definitely the latter. It, it wasn't okay. a technology centered movement at all. It was simply a question from our chairman, who was Jay Rizzullo at the time, that said, hey, we have 43 square miles of everything you can ever imagine, and we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on the margin on new attractions and entertainment, and we can't even see the business results even in the most successful uh, uh, new developments. Can you help me think about that? And when we went and put a strategic team behind uh, a business strategy addressing that question is when we manifested the notion that it was more more about the how than the what because we had more what than anyone could experience in yeah. pretty much their lifetime. If there was an inspiration from a innovation tech perspective, it was iTunes because at that time the elimination of friction out of the music industry to consume music created that phenomena at the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was the notion of if you did something like that, that fundamentally reduced that friction, yeah. how big of a business impact it would be. If that would have been the closest to an inspiration um, that we had, the magic band just would turned out to be the method of achieving that. That's really cool. And so, so you mentioned that it sounded like that, that part of the, the vision for this came pretty, pretty high up in the organization. And from what I understand about Disney, they culturally, they're pretty good about embracing new things, but I mean, just the, the, the scale of it is so big, um, you know, in terms of rolling something like this out across the organization and the amount of, um, change I would imagine that would be required just from a systems perspective and et cetera, you know, is a pretty big deal. So, I mean, was there any internal friction around kind of getting this thing over the hump or did, or, or is it pretty easy to sell this idea internally and just everybody was all on board and like, let's go, let's do this. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that, you know, when you think about Disney as a culture, it's a great culture that prides itself on excellence and doing things that others can't do. And so it has an amazing DNA to cultivate the opportunity to create next level yeah. uh, type innovations. But don't let that be confused with that making it easy to achieve that end goal. In, in fact, it's quite the opposite because the ideas are effectively infinite and the talent pool is so strong, the rigor and endurance that you have to have 
to take an idea to fruition and then do it across the Disney World scale is yeah. uh, extraordinary. And yeah. so at the same time, you do have a great culture, but it is probably one of the most difficult uh, gauntlets to run in the world. But the reason for that is it only produces excellence on the back end. And so mm -hmm. if you can uh, survive that and endure the pressure on new ideas that it takes through the development process, uh, yeah. you can, you're pretty much assured that what's going to come out the backside is going to be a, a fabulous product or experience because it's really been galvanized. There's been a lot of heat put against it and you're, yeah. you're very comfortable that uh, as long as you can execute, you'll be successful. Seems like a really good training ground for 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 what you ended up kind of doing next. So I, mean, that, I guess that brings us, I mean, now you're at Carnival and, and you're now trying to transform the experience as I understand it, um, at least now on, on cruise ships, but I know they also have a whole other bunch of properties. T -t -t Tell us a little bit about kind of what your what your vision is here and what you're trying to do at Carnival. Well, so at, at Disney, the vision was pure eliminate the friction. And so that is now uh, and has been for some time the world-class example of the biggest resort, one of the biggest resorts in the world that can truly have what is an overused word these days, a seamless experience from end to end. So that became the entry point for a next level of creation. And so what, what I wanted to do from there is create more value to the consumer than just eliminating the friction. And so what we're doing at Carnival Corporation, the creation of the Ocean Medallion, is the Ocean Medallion itself eliminates the friction in, in, in the vacation experience uh, very similar to what the Magic Band does. But the next level value creation to the consumer was not only how many experiences you can consume by eliminating the friction, it's how valuable each and every one of those experiences are. And if they were personalized to each and every individual at, at scale, yeah. then to a guest, I've eliminated friction, increased consumption, I made the experience personalized, which increased the value so from a guest standpoint, I maximize their vacation experience because both sides are great. I got more volume and I got more value. And that's what okay. it was all about for us. So, and I know, I know that it's a little more proactive too, right? So it's not just me um, paying for meals and things like that, but there's actually a component where it's like as you're moving through the facility, everybody knows kind of, or the system knows, and then therefore the people that are kind of in operating the system know where you are and actually bring you things. And like, you've kind of flipped the consumption model on Tenel. Exactly. Right? That's, that's a great observation. And it's, it's truly next level on every dimension. It's ne next level tech. It's next level pervasiveness. It's next level participation. Uh, at, at Disney, I'd say there's probably about 50% of people are, um, you know, wear magic bands and the other half don't because they have kind of a, uh, on-site resorts, off-site guests. On a cruise ship, we can engage every single individual into the connected guest experience because that's ultimately what you're doing is you're using a wearable device to connect guests into this pervasive, closed, somewhat closed ecosystem. And when you have that, you can then enhance your delivery of services to the next yeah. level. And uh, what we're doing on the ships is not only just using a wearable to kind of touch and tap your way into access, but actually take all uh, 
like 100% of friction out from a gas standpoint. So the environments and service delivery is responding to you as a guest before you even have yeah. to do anything. And then the more you engage in that experiential environment, the more intelligent it is to yet deliver you even more valuable experiences. And so I, people say, well, how does that work? I'm like, look, it's all optional, but the more you engage, the greater your experience will be because the ecosystem is purely created to respond to you and maximize your vacation experience. So you're able to not just take, because I know a lot of organizations, they use data from a predictive standpoint to improve, you know, it's like, it's like uh, continuous improvement and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, in your case, I'm, and obviously I'm sure you're doing that too, but I mean, it seems like you're also able, because I would imagine a lot of people, they're on a cruise ship and it's a one-time, it's like this big deal for them and it's a one-time thing. And so in your case, I'm sure there's a loyalty component for some people, but for many people, this will be the only time they're on one of your properties. And so it sounds like you're able to actually take the data while I'm there. Oh, absolutely. And create a better experience for me. Yeah, I think it's a great thing you bring up is that that's the difference of what we call and I call experience intelligence versus big data, data analytics, um, mm -hmm. and just general BI, business intelligence. Because the way BI, big data, really works is some bodies execute an operation. And they collect information and it goes to some data scientists and they put together models and they create some recommendations and observations that they provide back to an operation to enhance their operation to perform better in front of the guest. That, and also traditionally, there is some kind of static profile uh, typically out of a marketing organization, CRM type organization that's a static profile of you as an individual. And those are the two things that are trying to deliver personalization in consumer and guest experiences. Well, we, don't, we see that model as fundamentally flawed on multiple dimensions and have created a completely new model. Our perspective is, is that a guest is a different persona on many different vacations depending on who they're vacationing with. So if you're That's vacationing a yeah. as a um, head of your household with your kids, you're one type of individual persona of yourself. If you're with your multi-generational family, you're going to be another persona. If you're on a business trip or you're with your college buddies, you're another persona. In the traditional model, a CRM marketing-driven model holds a static profile and is going to be targeting you with offers and ads, and that's called personalization. But that's not considering who you are in that exact moment. What we're doing with our connected ecosystem is we have what we call a guest genome. And in that guest genome, it considers who you've been historically, but it also more importantly considers who you are in that second. And yeah. it is it has it recognizes not just who you say you are on setting your own preferences, but how you're engaging in the experience because that's who you really are and then all of that is uh, yeah. taken into account to make sure that in that same second we can deliver you back experiences that maximize your vacation so there's no need sending you um there's really no need even if you recognize yourself as a fitness buff that uh, was really interested in, in health food if you were on the ship and you're at the bar every night <laughs> in the casino having a great time and you haven't been, you know, uh, to, to the gym yet, 
well, there's no need for me to be trying to uh, waste your time inviting yeah. you into yoga classes. I should be inviting you into what you're yeah. most interested in on that ship, which is some more gaming, maybe a poker tournament or something yeah. else very fun. Yeah, I mean, a lot of startups I know run into this that are, you know, obviously less resourced, but the, the difference between sort of stated preferences and revealed preferences, and they're always, you know, they, they do customer development, and then they get a certain piece of feedback, and then they launch the thing. And they're like, well, wait a second, their, their behavior is very different than what they were saying their behavior was going to be. And why is that's That's really interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, an individual is many personas. And that's yeah. where I think the traditional model completely breaks down that a static profile really doesn't apply. Wow, that's really neat. So, I mean, I, maybe maybe Carnival. I don't know honestly what, what what sort of a reputation Carnival has in terms of being you know sort of technologically innovative and things like that. But I would imagine when you started talking about this vision, um, I mean, for almost any organization, they would be like, "Wow, that's uh, incredible!" Uh, but that sounds immense. I mean, how did how did you sort of de-risk it? I mean, were there, were there intermediate prototypes that you used? I mean, was it, did it, did it roll out in stages? I mean, how, how did you think about saying, all right, let's, let's break this into pieces and actually execute on something like this? Um, well, I think everything you said plays into the overall game. Um, it was, uh, it was and is, and, uh, was in the delivery immense and, uh, continues to be, yeah. uh, because you, yeah. you, you know, what, what I find interesting in the innovation space is that because a lot of people who pride themselves on innovation haven't painted and aren't capable of articulating a clear vision, they try to incrementalize themselves mm. in with prototypes and you're never going to change the world if you're just trying to prototype your way there to get people's attention. At Carnival Corporation, yeah. we were really lucky to have a great CEO um, named Arnold Donnell, who it took about 20 minutes to have a discussion on the vision uh, without mm. any visuals whatsoever to explain. Well, and he was, and he sought you out a little bit, didn't he? Yeah. Then he, he he came looking for something. Yeah, he uh, he had his feelers out to to because he had his his strategy is very simple: focus on the guests and leverage your scale. And that's what we're all about, is focusing on guests, creating a platform that leverages our scale to, to maximize the vacation experience. And so when we met, we were able to talk the same language very quickly. And so from that standpoint, uh, it really was, again, 20, 30 minutes. And at the yeah. highest level of this organization, you had someone who could immediately dimensionalize the enormity, dimensionalize the resources, dimensionalize the time, and dimensionalize the course that it would take to bring the reality because that is the most important element in the entire game for your audience is if you're talking about doing uh, game-changing business strategies empowered by innovation with any enterprise uh, large-scale enterprise like a Disney or a carnival the CEO has to be perfectly aligned and I can give nods back to Bob Iger with the magic band years before the magic band saw the light of day when it was just a couple of pieces of velcro and a couple of rfid tags he was able to look at that and and he and in, in, in fact he said this little thing is going to be very important one day and he immediately could see what was the game changer in that equation same way with arnold donald and i think that's the uniqueness of the great ceos now from that to achieve success is a completely different game. So uh, you have this enormity uh, in uh, clarity of vision and an enormous project that it takes to bring it to reality. That CEO has to stay steadfast 
across the development and delivery with the most important being the implementation because anything that's a step function change creates noise in the implementation mode. The magic band creates yeah. a lot of noise that you can read about um, at the time. Uh, and it usually takes about six to eight months to get the noise out of the system when you you know bang a new operational process versus an old process and it changes forever. Um, but then all of a sudden it's harmony and then it's about pace and moving things forward. Uh, but I think the most important ingredients are a clear alignment with the CEO and commitment if you're trying to do anything at an enterprise level, um, the clarity of the vision, because we actually don't believe a lot in um, Agile. I, I know people say, whoa, whoa, Agile, digital transformation, it's all sold by the consultants of it's all the same, and that's sure. actually not the case. I like to say um, being too agile is just an excuse never to achieve your goal yeah. because every time it gets hard, you change your direction. But yet the classical waterfall uh, hierarchical planning is just a method to plan but never deliver because once you consider all the factors, you're too scared actually to pursue the, uh, the strategy. And so we're some combination of both. I kind of lead more with a construction mentality, which is... Uh, advance the ball every day, keep laying the groundworks, whether you advance a couple inches, a couple of feet, or a mile, as long as you're progressing the build every year, mm -hmm. every day, then you're moving towards your goal. And then mm -hmm. innovation as a term, I use it as innovation is just the method to overcome those obstacles as you head to that goal. Because if someone could do it, it would have already been done. Sure. And Innovation itself is not a strategy because I don't know what an innovation strategy is. I hear it all the time. I'm like, but what is that? Really, yeah. innovation is a method to achieving a game-changing business strategy. Uh, and we're in the business yeah. of great guest experiences. So along those, are there, are there tools or techniques or like, do you, do you have sort of a, an innovation toolkit, I guess, for lack of a better word, if it's, a, if it's an approach? I mean, are there... Are there um, common techniques or, or frameworks or whatever it is that you rely on as you're trying to navigate all this? I do. Um, the first, you know, there's a general formula that I use, um, and it's it's very common between what I use at Disney and what I use at Carnival. I mean, they're okay. two of the biggest leisure com travel companies in the world, um, and it, it's worked out both times, and so kind of two for two. The The first is a perfectly clear articulated vision that's not in a PowerPoint deck. You, the CEO ultimately has to, even though they can grasp it in a short conversation, but they have to be able to see it and feel it and touch it and understand it. And okay. because once you do that, you can't go back. Your mind can't go back to what you're seeing every day. And so mm. truly, Truly spending the time and the effort to clearly articulate a vision is immensely important. All right. Okay. After that, the uh, most important thing from my perspective is speed of development. Because after you articulate the vision, no one really thinks in a large enterprise that it's going to come true. Because it's just the flavor <laughs> of the day and it's exciting and it's cool. But yeah, we've heard sure. those things before. And so right, right. you have to gain development momentum extremely quick. Because 
in my opinion, large enterprises have about a three to four year tolerance of what's going to be occurring to occur before it's just so much noise uh, with an angst within the organization that you just say, yeah, it sounds great, but it's let's just move on. So you have yeah. to gain momentum early. And then when the rest of the organization, when you're pursuing a holistic strategy, kind of wakes up, that's when your resistance occurs. Because it's not about an individual and it's not about a department. It's not like IT or marketing. That's not the issue. The issue is if you're pursuing game-changing change holistically for your consumer or guest, it's going to impact the organization. And if you're doing it holistically, that means it's going to impact everybody. Um, and no one, every, well, let me say it like this, is that everyone's cool with change as long as the other guy. Um, <laughs> and so you, but, you, know, you have to have your vision materially delivered before the organization is, um, becomes kind of um, too broadly engaged in a way that there's too much resistance to push it over the finish line. And that's all a delicate balance that you have yeah. to uh, have across the development yeah. life cycle. Um, yeah. And those are just things I consider. When you, so it sounds like there's, you know, having a, a lot of momentum before it starts, you know, kind of spreading out through the rest of the organization is really important. From, from a, you mentioned behavior change, from a behavior change aspect, are there, are there, um, because I know that's where a lot of people get stuck or, or, or even too scared to try. It's like, I, I don't want to, I've already, we've done initiatives um, like this. There's going to be a lot of antipathy um, around people's willingness to kind of adopt and buy into this whole thing. Are there are there strategies other than kind of having momentum and having a lot of, um, um, you know, executive air cover? Um, are there other strategies around either like coming up with ways to minimize the behavior change and how much it's going to require, or is it about community? Is it just about communication or how do you think about the behavior change aspect of that? All those dimensions are important. I think that when you communication is very key, you have to keep a very yeah. consistent message, very clear and succinct message, and you can't vary it throughout the mm -hmm. entire development life cycle. The four development principles that we use that underlie every aspect of the ocean medallion in the overall ecosystem were, are the exact same uh, day one as they are whatever day we're on currently, uh, now that we're in about four years. We do not ever vary your principles because if you lose your principles, you lose your North Star where you're, you're heading on your uh, development project. The other is that you have to have a uh, development team it's not just a development team, it's a vision team, it's a development team, and it's an implementation team, and it's ultimately uh, has some stake in the operation of the ultimate product or experience. Because if you're, you as a classical developer uh, aren't willing to stand in front of the consumer or guest and execute the operational process to enable the experience, then you're not confident in your work. And if you're not willing to do it, you're also not willing to truly live in the shoes of your operator and listen directly back from the guest on what their perspective is. Because no matter what you're doing, you're going to have to make some quick 
adjustments because no matter how good you are and no matter how great the team is you hire and no matter how well thought the real world is the real world yeah and you can't simulate the real world no matter how hard you try with perfection uh we had our um you know there it's kind of legendary but the sound stage uh, legend of the disney uh, project is was 100 percent true and was the best approximation to the real world that we could get uh, without being in the real world. And we did a very similar thing at Carnival Corporation where we had a whole ship built out with exact replicas of the ship inside a building. But when you get in space and you get in front of your customer and guest with new uh, operational processes, technology and engagement methods, uh, it's just different. And you have to be willing to do that and then take that feedback and make quick adjustments. And so that's, I I think, that is lost on a lot of um, innovation teams where they think, hey, I'm smart. I come up with a great idea. We're going to put it out there and see what happens. No, you have to drive it out there. You have to push it. You have to communicate it. You have to operate it. And then it all comes back to um, some quick adjustments and then ultimately success. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of organizations have been, have been interested in, in this idea of IOT and sensors and, you know, uh, location detection and all of that kind of stuff. And, and it sounds like you and your team probably know more about being able to do this again at scale than probably anybody. Um, are there, are there lessons that you've kind of learned around trying to execute specifically around that type of thing or pitfalls that folks could avoid as they're trying to think about, um, creating a sense an environment that just knows everything that's kind of going on the um it's a great question and i'm glad you asked it especially given how hot iot is and this is the ultimate manifestation that i'm aware of of a human-based iot that's pervasive uh essentially off uh, across a floating city uh with every aspect of it the the notion about uh, everyone has now redefined almost yeah. every product anything that's connected people are now calling IoT and it's, <laughs> it's really not the case um, and when you so when you start to get into the space of IoT enabled yeah. experiences you typically get into um, spaces that there's the hardware people that will come believe that, hey, if, if I give you this beacon and you put this here and you install that, then we have all this. Um, and it doesn't really work like that. Anyone who says an I, deployment of an IoT is easy, uh, it's not. And anyone that says, hey, I can make it easy, uh, I'd love to meet them because uh, everyone that's told me that it's easy, uh, what they were selling, there was not much there there. Um, so yeah. the notion of uh, IoT requires uh, a lot of discipline. It re- requires discipline with the interaction between the human and the IoT. What is that element that you're going to connect them pervasively mm-hmm. to the IoT? And um, we think the Ocean Medallion is pretty magnificent, but uh, there is a tremendous amount of time, energy, and expertise that goes into creating that single element. Then yeah. that connection to the notion of sensors uh, yeah. and this, the notion of hardware sensors, how they are infused in your environments, where they're infused in your environments, why they're infused in your environments, whatsoever. All that's incredibly uh, challenging to figure out. 
And that's where most people think it stops because they're just looking at the connection of these hardware things that they can see. But then you get into the vast space of the software that it takes to make any IoT implementation truly effective. Um, and, and that's just as complicated and sophisticated as the, the elements that you see. And yeah. those two layers are incredibly critical even before you get to the elements of the guest experience or operational uh, process that they're enabled because that's another layer of digital applications or operational applications. So the, yeah. those, that IoT layer is um, very sophisticated, takes a lot of science and takes a lot of art as well. Yeah, well, I would imagine, you know, there's there's probably a big sort of like signal versus noise component to this, because if you're updating things like three, you know, whatever, whatever it was, it's three times a second or whatever the algorithm is, and you're trying to adapt, like you said, sense who I am in this moment and to personalize that experience, like separating out false data from actual, like figuring out what types of movement patterns or decisions or whatever are predictive of what seems like an immense, you know, challenge. That's really interesting. And I think it's, it's not just an immense challenge, it's a journey. And so we do literally billions of data yeah. points a, a week and yeah. Um, yeah. it's, it becomes, you're awash in it, but it's really, you have to focus on what is the intent what what is your strategy and focus on the guests focusing on the consumer and then what is important for you to listen to and what is important for you to ignore at this point in time it doesn't mean that what you're currently ignoring doesn't have value it just doesn't have value yet in your strategic yeah. focus and so you need to be careful that you when when pursuing an IOT strategy that uh, like this, like I like to talk about ours is it's it's both a guest experience strategy, but it's really an uh, operational intelligence driven guest experience strategy. Mm -hmm. And you can't get so totally. washed in the intelligence that you forget about your consumer or guest uh, and, and recognize that you're going to get in more intelligence. Intelligence is a process and it will happen on an ongoing, uh, ongoing manner. Also seems like the iteration piece would be interesting challenge because you've like you said i mean you've got basically a floating city you know like <laughs> you can't take these ships offline for three months you know what i mean like and do a new release like it's got to be it, it seems like it would it's a very it must be a very fluid but we've kind of changed the game on that space is because historically ships were basically disconnected cities and um they would you know, load their provisions and your guests get on the ships and the operator's ready and they go out to sea and you learn something about them when they return. Um, yeah, and now yeah, we've taken yeah. that to a fully connected cloud synchronized mobile city. So it's, it's, it's less of a floating hotel now and more of a, a fully connected stage for experiences that happen to be moving around the world. It's basically a floating mobile device staging experiences. It's kind of a giant yeah. mobile device when you think about it. It just happens to float. Yeah. And um and so that's we're just we're just barely yeah. even scratching the surface of what it takes to transform from a fixed operational model to a dynamic fully uh, driven by intelligence model. I don't know how many sure. years it'll take, but it's it'll be quite a uh, transformation over time. It seems like for a lot of this stuff, there's a there's a big um, 
there must be, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there must be a big sort of proprietary sort of tech piece to this. And I know a lot of conversations I've had with other organizations, they're really allergic to that idea. Like they want to, they, they, they say, we're not a tech company. Um, we're going to use what SAP or whatever, whoever it is, is going to help us with or Salesforce or whatever it is, which, you know, maybe from a backend perspective is, is possible and wise or whatever, but it seems like to create the kind of customer experience in particular that you're talking about and having it be on brand and having it be all seamless and all of that kind of stuff, it seems like there's at least a component of this that you, that you own. And then also, like when you said, when you're trying to take this sort of step function shift and just really change the game in terms of what, what the kind of experience you're going to deliver, it seems like that's a strategic asset that you also want to own too. So, I mean, how do you, how do you think about that in terms of, do, do you think that you, you're, yes, we, we're a, we're a cruise ship company, but we're also now a tech company or how, how do you think about the tech side of things? So, um, you know, it's very interesting. It's a great question. A lot of insight in that question is that both the, um, Disney uh, work as well as the carnival work is both uh, 100%, you know, if not 100% proprietary, the high 90s in uh, being proprietary. And I think that it's um, unique in that they're in the guest experience business, Disney yeah. being in a theme park, primarily guest experience business, uh, really with a focus on fantasy and uh, Carnival Corporation is more in the leisure travel business focused on authentic experiences across the world. So they both have, they both have different experiential spaces, but they both had the scale to invest in a proprietary platform that allowed them to advance their guest experience. And a lot of organizations should be allergic to that because it's not for the meek and it's not for um, the folks looking for quote quick wins. If when, when I talk to people and they say, hey, we want to do what you do and uh, we want to have some quick wins, I'm like, you're not in the structural transformation business and the structural advancement step function change. You're looking for continuous improvement and that is perfectly fine because that's effectively saying where I'm at now, I'm happy. And if I improve incrementally, I can use all, quote off the shelf type stuff. I can get a little yeah. bit better on each aspect and continue to move on at the pace of the market. But organizations like a Disney, organizations like Carnival, they, as market leaders in their respective industry, you have the capability to invest, to advance the entire industry. And that's what Disney did. And I think that's what Carnival has done as well. Got it. So along those lines, I mean, for folks that are kind of on an innovation team, maybe they've got brought in, I think, because, you know, again, a lot of times folks come in and they think that their mandate is to create the sort of disruptive change that you're talking about creating. Um, but then maybe they find out that that's not actually the case um, or, or just, or, or it is the case, but maybe the organization hasn't really internalized what that means and what that would take. Um, you know, you, as you've, 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 you've obviously got to a place where now you have a reputation where if someone's bringing you into an organization, like Carnival knew what they were bringing you in for, right? To do some, something massive. But for folks that don't necessarily have that track record and, um, either think that they're being brought in to do stuff like that, or they they really are being brought in to do stuff like that, uh, but the organization hasn't necessarily fully thought through the implications of that. Like, what what sort of advice would you either give the the, the, per, the team member that's trying to create the change, or the organization 
um, to, to increase the likelihood of, of, of something, some version of this, like maybe not at the same scale that you're talking about, but some version of disruptive. Is it, uh, another, another great question. I can tell you're, you're really tuned into this space because it's a, a frequent question I, I get. And, um, it's a very important question because this notion of a chief experience officer and a, the notion of a, uh, innovation officer and these, transformation teams and these innovation teams they're all although that language is is really a phenomena that has kind of surfaced in the last five to eight years and yeah. so it's new and so a lot of organizations think hey i'm going to establish a role i have a chief experience officer and i'm going to hire this person and then all of a sudden i have this and so what my advice to organizations that, that, that say, hey, we're going to establish this role so we can do this, I say, well, establishing the role really honestly has nothing to do with actually uh, outlining a strategy and figuring out the approach to delivery. Very similarly um, is the individuals themselves, people who are on a digital transformation, customer experience innovation, chief experience officer, I say make sure you know and understand what you're getting into and is there a match in what your role description is and does that match with the organizational commitment and the resources alignment because you unless all of it is aligned you can't even get started and so yeah. to me uh, the, having both Enterprises really being introspective and understanding the signal that a setting up a role like that means, and for individuals going into those type of roles to make sure they truly understand what is expected of them and what resources are going to be there to achieve those goals. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Well, this has been awesome. I really, I really thought this was fantastic. All right. My guest today was John Padgett. For more information about how to use technology to disrupt your own organization, visit us at www.digintent.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you use. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.